Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that had foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Olivia. Well, if you look back at your Bibles at Hebrews 11, look back at verse 1, which is where we started a few weeks ago. Uh, because this is really in the context of the start of this verse. So if you remember, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So don't look at your Bibles, look up at me and repeat after me. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So again, if, uh, if you've never memorized a verse of Scripture in your life, you just did, and uh, that's, that's a start for you. You can work on the whole verse, whole chapter 11 if you want to. But that's really the foundation for what we're talking about in the last few weeks and even uh, you know, the next number of messages we are in, in Hebrews. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And now we're looking at different Uh, characters in Scripture, different individuals who walked with God, and they believed, uh, and they were in, uh, they had faith in the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So remember the last time uh, we talked about Enoch, we talked about Abel, and then we ended with Noah, who obviously obeyed God and did something crazy, built an ark, uh, trusting God that he was going to do something. And so now we turn to Abraham, who also obeyed God. So it says in verse 8, faith by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place 
that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So the first point as we look at Abraham's life is faith acts on God's promises. So we learn about Abraham. If you keep your hand here, you can flip back in your Bible to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And if you look in chapter 12, this is where we get introduced to uh, the life of Abraham. His his name hadn't changed yet. He was called Abram at the time. And we're just going to kind of read what what, was, what happened and how God interacted with him, how, how Abraham actually came to know God and interacted with God the first time. So I'm just going to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So God gave Abram, then it would be later Abraham, a promise that he would bless The nations through him, that he would raise up a nation uh, through him. And so his story begins, he's he's 75 years old when he gets this promise. Sometimes we kind of read and we we think Abraham, like a young guy, is getting this promise. You know, he's, he's, he's heading out with the family on a big trip. But he's 75 years old. So those of you who may be in the latter stages, you feel like you're playing the back nine of life God's not done with you yet. Don't think that that God won't start something new with you in the latter years of life. Now, back to this. So so he's 75 years old. He's living in Ur, the land of his fathers at the time. Uh, He's thriving in a locality. But then Stephen tells us in Acts 7, he says this, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. So faith begins actually with God, with God revealing himself to us. So God revealed himself to Abraham. It was a divine visitation. Now, for some of us, it may not look like what seemed to be the audible voice of God speaking to Abraham, but for us, that divine visitation might come when you hear a message preached in some context or maybe when you open up your Bible and you read, or maybe as you interact with someone who shares the gospel with you, or maybe when you see the life of someone lived who's living for Christ. God speaks in numerous ways, but God speaks. And he, he speaks to those who are ignorant of his ways, and he reveals himself, and then he calls us out. He calls Abram, Then it would be Abraham. He calls him to leave everything, to leave his family, to leave his homeland, to leave his 401k, and to go. Now, doesn't doesn't this sound familiar? Jesus does the same thing, right? Jesus says in Luke 5, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Jesus says, follow me. 
Leave everything, follow me. The original in the Old Testament, as, it's, as we read that he speaks to Abram and says, come follow me, it kind of has this flavor of the word of God is still ringing in his ears when he takes a step of faith and acts in obedience. Like he immediately responds to God. And that's how we need to respond when Christ calls. Has, have you responded to the call of Christ who says, follow me? Who says, leave everything? He's not, let's have a conversation. Let's have a break. Why don't you got to get your affairs in order, maybe figure things out, then follow me. No, he says, follow me. Like, drop everything and follow me. When he called Levi, Levi left his job and he followed him. Do you see the wonder of Christ and are you willing to leave everything to follow him? Because he went out, this is, this is crazy, he went out not knowing where he was going. He went out not knowing where he was going. There's not a promise when we follow Christ that it's just going to become super easy and your life's now going to get comfortable and he's going to give you everything that you want. No, oftentimes when Jesus calls us, he just calls us to look at him and to go. To go not knowing. We learn from the life of Paul. He went different places, going not knowing what would await him there as he went back to Jerusalem. We begin our life of faith not knowing where we're going. And we may have friends and family that will ask questions like, you're giving up your stuff to do what? Why are you throwing your life away for a God you can't see? Why are you so worked up about this old book that's so outdated? The only answer we have for them is, I've met God. I've met God, and he has given his life for me, and his name is Jesus. Now, even as we look at the life of Abraham, it's not a life of perfect obedience, if we took the time to read, you know, uh, there's a lot of chapters about Abraham in the book of Genesis, but his life of obedience wasn't perfect. I mean, in late, just later on in chapter 12, he, he's in uh, the land and, and Pharaoh, he tells Pharaoh that his wife is his sister because he's afraid that Pharaoh's going to kill him. He said, oh yeah, well, kind of she's technically his sister, but... I mean, does this seem like a guy who's acting in faith? And then in Genesis 16, after Abraham was promised descendants, uh, Sarah, his wife, gives Abraham her servant. So she, she gives, his wife gives Abraham the, her servant because she hasn't had a baby yet. So Abraham's been given this promise. God's gonna make a nation through you. And they're like, totally, she gives his servant so that, oh, well, if I can't have children, I'm gonna do this. So obviously they, they sin in the midst of this. They're not perfect. And even Sarah laughed when God promised that she would bear a child when she was 90 years old. I mean, some of you ladies who might might have been tempted to do the same thing if you make your way into your 90s and the Lord says, well, you're going to have a child. But the point is they're not, they're not perfect in their obedience. But yet God still pursued. God still kept his promises. And we can trust that he's gonna keep his promises. 
because he's faithful. Look at verse 11. It says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. When God makes a promise and someone disappoints or someone does something that he doesn't want, he doesn't get like honked off and like, oh, okay, you didn't do what I asked you to do. I'm changing my mind. Because we can, be, we can be tempted to do that. We make a promise or a commitment to something and then someone completely steals something from us or disappoints us. We can be tempted to kind of change. Like, should I keep my promise? Because they didn't keep their end of the bargain. God doesn't work that way. He always keeps his end of the bargain. And promises help us. Promises lift our gaze above our circumstances. Rather than looking down at his circumstances, God lifted his gaze to the heavens. When God talked to Abraham about how numerous his children would be, he, he doesn't have them look down, he has them look up. He looks at the stars of the sky. So on our own, we might be content to settle for second best, but God wants you to look up. He wants you to look up. He wants you to see his promises and lift your gaze above your circumstances. Because when you look at your circumstances, you can be tempted to think that God's not following through. You can be tempted to think it's not happening the way that you want. You can be tempted to be discouraged because you can think, well, this is happening as a result of something that I've done. But when we lift our gaze at God's promises, we are helped. Charles Spurgeon uh, helpfully kind of explained in a sermon called The Happy Christian. He said, the worldling, so someone who doesn't know Christ, the worldling blesses God while he gives him plenty. But the Christian blesses him when he smites him. Because the Christian believes God to be wise. He believes him to be too wise to err, too too wise to make a mistake. He believes him to be too good to be unkind. He trusts him where he cannot trace him. He looks up to him in the darkest hour and believes that all is well. So even in our darkest days, friends, Even if it's not a season of dark days, maybe you have a dark night where you are agonizing for someone that you love or you've just experienced a disappointment in your life. Even in those dark days, we can look up above our circumstances and know that God will carry us through, that God will deliver every single time on his promises. And those promises, they help move us along on our journey. They help us not to settle down. They help us not to cower in the corner and become self-focused. I mean, for Abraham, it would have been great to just have a happy home with his wife. I mean, they were in a nice place, kind of set up, you know, have two and a half kids and, you know, have your house. But for him, maybe it was mud bricks, but he knew this world was not his home. Look back at verse nine. It says, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. So he went to live in the land of promise 
as in a foreign land living in tents. Faith sojourns while focusing on the heavenly city. Faith sojourns, sojourning, kind of wandering while focusing on the heavenly city. Because at the beginning, faith just realized we, we're living in tents. We live, he went to live in the land of promise. And when he got there, it wasn't his. He didn't get to set up shop. It wasn't, it wasn't like the story of the Sooners. Maybe you've heard about the Sooners. Sometimes some of you who like sports, you think of the Oklahoma Sooners. Well, they're named after those that when, you know, obviously in our country, they, the land is free. So, hey, we're going to shoot a gun. You got a flag. Go find a piece of land. Put your stake in the ground. And that's your land. Well, what did they do? They went, it was not so crazy. They go, they put their stake in the ground, and that's their land. They set up shop. They build a house. They establish a family. They expect their family to live there for generations to come. That wasn't, that wasn't Abraham's experience. He had to embrace the life of a wanderer. Someone who, who stays somewhere but without a home. One commentator reminds us that the only land Abraham ever owned was his wife Sarah's tomb. That's the only land he ever owned. A cave in the field of Machpelah near Hebron, which he bought from Ephron the Hittite. To, feel, to get a feel for what this was like, imagine God promising you and your descendants the land of Guatemala. And then in obedience, traveling there and living the rest of your life in your camper, along with your son's families and their campers, Moving from place to place, you remain an alien for the remainder of your sojourn. Without full citizenship rights, a perpetual outsider. That's what, that's what Abraham's experience was. When we think about him navigating things, we kind of think him settled, but he's never, he's never settled. Author Ken Hughes said, the life of faith demands that we live in dissonance with the unbelieving world. A life of faith is not anti-cultural, but counter-cultural. Thus, a vibrant faith is always matched with a sense of dis-ease, so not having ease, a pervasive in-betweenness, a sense of being a camper. It is a dangerous thing when a Christian begins to feel permanently settled into this world. Abraham never fit in. He was a monotheist. He believed in the one true God in a land where they believed in all kinds of other gods. So his faith was anti-cultural. He fit, he, he didn't, he was in between. He was kind of in this all the time. He was deeply involved in what was going on. He didn't, he wasn't completely removed. He was involved in what was going on, but it wasn't his home. I mean, the people of God, later on, we learn when they are established, they, they celebrate this thing called the Feast of Booths. And whenever I read Feast of Booths, I'm like, like at the fair? Like they got booths at the fair? People throwing, you know, things at balloons and they're getting like prizes? No, they, they set up tents. The, the, these booths were kind of like tents that they would set up. Now, they were slightly bigger than these, not probably quite as colorful, 
you know, as these, but they would set up, you know, these booths. Why did they set up these booths? They had houses. They, they kind of, you know, they had a land that they were in, uh, that they, they set up. Well, because God wanted them to remember. God wanted to remember when they didn't have a home. God wanted them to remember that he was with them when they didn't have a place. So we live, we are to live as intense. I mean, think about that life, like a life of like perpetual camping. And I'm not talking about glamping, right? We, we all know the difference between camping and glamping. Both are temporary, right? But you, you think about when you're camping, things look a little bit different, you know? It, it doesn't quite look like a lazy boy, right? When you're sitting, you know, you, you, you get some chairs that you're going to sit in, but, you know, they're not, not as comfy as your lazy boy. Maybe you're going to have uh, a cooler. Things, things are temporary. You know, you don't have everything that you have at home. You, you know, certainly you're going to have, you know, some wood that you're going to put out because you don't have your, you might have your water bottle and you're going to make yourself a little fire. You might have a hatchet so that you can cut wood and maybe you're going to have a plate that hopefully you brought some food to put on it. But life is different when, when you're camping. You don't need everything that you have at home. You don't bring everything that you have at home. Because you're not going to be there for a long time. Most of the time, you're just going to be there for a few days, maybe a few weeks. But you're not going to be there. So you only bring the stuff that you need. But what also happens when you go camping, if you're sitting down, uh, you know, around the fire with your s'mores, you know, I figured it'd be unwise to make s'mores with a fire on the stage. What do you do? You're, you're building relationship. You are, are fellowshipping with those around you. You are focusing on the intimacy because you don't have all the other stuff that you normally have to distract you, right? Because you're, So you're focusing on the relationships. It's not that there's not work to do. I mean, there's certainly work to do when you're camping, right? It's not like that, oh, it's just free. No, you've got to. You've got to make the fire to cook the food. Or you can eat, you know, raw bacon or something like that. That won't go well. So there's work there to be done. There's things that take up your time. But you're aware, you're intimately aware that it's different. It requires that you share with one another. How many times, some of you who have gone camping, because I know some of you, uh, camping looks like a hotel, fill in the blank, the name. You know, I go camping. But for those of you who have been camping, you, you're aware, you get somewhere and you're like, oh, I forgot the matches. Or like when my son went camping recently and I forgot to tell him the piece that connects the griddle to the gas tank, I took it off so we wouldn't break it and it's in this specific spot in the garage. So they had everything 
but one small part that they couldn't cook. What do you do in that? Oh, you go to the other camps? Hey, do you happen to have some matches? Do you have you, you work with others. That's what happens when we have the mindset that we are not in our home. As Christians, why would we be fellowshipping with one another? Why would we prioritize time together? Because we need each other. We're aware we need each other. This is not our home. We're not meant to be stored up in our house with the door shut, just being right there, ordering takeout all the time and never seeing anybody. We need each other. But we also don't need the stuff that we have as much as we think we do. Are we thinking with, with eternity in view? Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs shared this helpful exhortation. He said, the scripture tells us plainly that we must behave ourselves as pilgrims and strangers. Consider what your condition is. You are pilgrims and strangers. You do not think to satisfy yourselves here. So let us not be troubled when we see that other men have great wealth, but we have not. Why? We are going away to another country. You are, as it were, only lodging here for a night. If you were to live a hundred years in comparison to eternity, it is not as much as a night. It is as though you were traveling and had come to an end. That's what this world is. That's what our Christian experience is. We, we have to remember we're living in tents. We're living in tents. And how do we endure? If we're aware we're living in tents, we don't trust in it because when the wind blows, when, when you're in a tent, if, you, if the wind blows when you're in a tent, I've been in a tent. I've been in a tent with my daughters and eight other girls when the wind blew and the tent almost did this. And when that happens, you're completely aware you are in a temporary structure. So if we are aware, if we are living our lives as intense, we're aware we're in a temporary structure, it doesn't feel certain, right? It feels like, hey, when the storms come, what are we going to do? Because you said I'm living in a tent. What do we do? We focus on the heavenly city. Faith focuses on the heavenly city. Look at verse 14. For people who speak thus made it clear that they are seeking a homeland, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. If they were focusing on the place that they came from, they would have been like, you know what, let's go back there. Let's go back there. Remember, you know, in the future, like we're talking about Abraham, the nation of Israel hadn't gone into the promised land yet. They hadn't crossed the Red Sea, but they, what did happen for them? They were looking back all the time. We need to go back. When they focused on going back, they grumbled and complained. Well, if they would if they were focusing on that, that's what would have happened to them. But they weren't. But as it is, it says in verse 16, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They were seeking a homeland. We 
are seeking a homeland. We're waiting for a city. Philippians 3, verses 20 to 21 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We're desiring a homeland, not just a place, friends, not just a place to go on vacation that's better. No, we're desiring a homeland, the place that we call home. Home is supposed to be the place where you feel safe. Home is the place where you're supposed to feel protected. And in that homeland, the homeland where Jesus rules and reigns, he's the prince of peace, we are never going to have to wonder if someone's going to come in and take our stuff. We are never going to have to wonder if someone's going to come in and destroy our life. Because it's the place that's safe. And just like when you're traveling and you don't feel well and you're longing to be back in your own bed, how much greater is our longing to be in the place where there will be never any more suffering or disease, where we'll be in the presence of the King of Kings. We're seeking a homeland. They desire a better country. Colossians 3, 1 to 4 says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. How, how do we become happy campers? Now think about that. You've been camping and there's always someone, particularly if you're taking small ones, they're not a happy camper. But that can be us, right? How do we become happy campers? We focus on the heavenly sea. We focus on the things that are above. We don't focus on what's right here. When a disappointment comes, when you're camping, if you focus on the thing at hand, you can just kind of cripple rather than, okay, if I focus on what's above, if I focus outside of myself, you can solve the problem. For us, we focus on what's above. In John Bunyan's classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, the hero is named Christian. And he had to navigate crazy trials. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, I encourage you to read Pilgrim's Progress sometime this summer. Read it with your kids. The one thing that encouraged Christian, the main character, one thing that encouraged him to move forward through all these crazy trials that he dealt with was a vision of the heavenly city. He was given a vision. He was given a picture. When he could see the heavenly city, he kept moving forward. When you can see the heavenly city, you will keep moving forward. I find when I am discouraged and distraught about things in this life, when, when I'm hurt or when I'm hurting for someone else, my gaze can fall and I can't sleep and I toil and I struggle and I try to satisfy myself with stuff that doesn't last. But when, when someone comes along and lifts my gaze and they remind me of the promises of God, when they remind me of the place that I'm, I'm going, my circumstances don't change. But I get up and I keep moving forward. 
I keep moving forward. You will keep moving forward. The, the, the goal isn't that we finish the race today. The goal is just simply that we finish. So you keep moving forward by looking up to the heavenly city. Because there's a place that we're going. Revelation 22, 1 to 5 describes it like this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Fruit, fruit bearing every month. Not just seasons once a year, every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Boy, that really beats aloe, huh? Leaves of the tree, the healings of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. What a picture, friends. Earmark your Bible in Revelation 22. Don't wait to read it till the end of the year in the Bible reading plan. Read it more frequently. When your eyes are tempted to fall, stop and look up. Force them to look up. Know that it's better. This is the place where we're going. It will remind you this is not your home. The fact that you're experiencing pain means this is not your home. When you get up after sleeping in a tent that's obviously way too tiny for you, on a floor that's not comfortable, and your back hurts and you're sore, you're still sick from the undercooked food that you had. Wait, this is not our home. We're going home. We're going home. I felt that way every single time when my kids were little and we would go on the father-kid camping trip of the church that we went to. One guy thought it was awesome. No, not a father-son camping trip. Father-kid camping trip. Dads, take all of your kids. It was a blessing to the moms. Absolutely. It was a blessing to the moms. And I was so grateful for that. But I never longed for home so much in my life. <laughs> one night, only one night, we would set up the tents for one night. Nine out of 10 father-kid camping trips, it rained. <laughs> 20 feet from where we set up our tents was a herd of cows that felt the need to sleep standing up near our tents, making noises all night long. And with the wind blowing the tent end. Now granted, the kids thought they were in heaven, right? They get up in the morning and they've already arrived in glory, right? Running around, but the dads knew I ain't home. We're not home. When you feel the trials of this life, you're not home. Just after the turn of the century, pioneer missionary Henry C. Morrison was returning to New York after 40 years in Africa. That same boat also bore home the wildly popular president, Theodore Roosevelt. As they entered New York Harbor, the president was greeted with a huge fanfare. Morrison felt rather dejected. After all, he had spent four decades in the Lord's service. But then a small voice came to Morrison saying, Henry, you're not home yet. And was the voice ever right? For God had prepared a city for 
far greater than the Big Apple for Henry Morrison. God says, I am the God of Henry C. Morrison, and here, Henry, are the keys to the city. With faith, it is possible to please God. It is. Now, I know sometimes in this life, we must sacrifice. Faith Faith has to be willing to give up what is precious. In verse 17 and 18, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall you, your offspring be named. Now, just to summarize, so you could read the story in full in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 18. But what happened? God said, I want you to offer your son Isaac. So his son had already been born. We'd gone through the trials of unbelief and, and belief, and their son is born. And so he's got the son. He's only got one. And he says, God says to him, I want you to offer him up. Now, this seems to go against God's promise. Wait a minute. You're asking me to do something that seems to go against what you've promised me to do. But he believes God. He believes God. It was counted to him as righteousness. He believes God, and he goes, and he goes to put Isaac on the altar. Imagine the scene. He brings his son. Dad, where's the lamb? Where, where's the sacrifice? Um, I've, I've, I've gotten all the sticks as you've asked me to do. He takes his son, and he puts him there. And in his heart, his son is already gone. But at the last moment, God shows up, provides a sacrifice. Abraham was actually going to do it. He believed God. Sometimes God calls us to sacrifice something that is valuable, or at least it appears that way. It needs to happen at at a minimum in our hearts. The great thing is this gives us a picture, a greater picture of another son who was sacrificed, the one we were reminded of as we took communion together today, as we took the bread and the cup. We're reminded that God gave his only son, and at the last moment, he did not deliver him because his son was meant to be the deliverer. His son was meant to go to the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins, so we need to embrace Christ. If you've never embraced Christ, I mean, consider, consider Christ, consider what Christ has done because he was the sacrificial lamb. But as we've embraced Christ, are you willing to give up what is most precious to you in obedience to Christ? Maybe it's a relationship. You're longing to be in a relationship. And someone's told you, oh, if you just believe God and you give it up to the Lord, then all of a sudden he'll bring you somebody. No, like, Abraham, he, he was believing his son was going to be gone. Like, in his heart, that was it. That's what he was committed to. I don't know what God's asking you to give up. Maybe he's calling you to give up a great job for his purposes. Maybe he will call you to leave something that is comfortable to go on the mission field. Maybe he'll call you to stay because something else looks more comfortable, more appealing, and it's hard to stay. 
because where we stay feels more like the tent, and where I'm going sure feels like it. I don't have to feel so much like I'm in the tent. Jesus said this, friends, in Matthew 19, that everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. We should hold on to the stuff here. For those of you who are parents, we shouldn't hold on to our kids. Like, keep them close. Like, maybe we're gonna, maybe the Lord wants you to raise them up and send them out. That's hard. I don't want my kids to go away, but I want my kids to glorify God. Maybe that's what God has. And maybe he does it, but are we willing? We're living in tents. Are we teaching our kids to live in tents? And the last, last point this morning, as we get to the last three verses, we, we learn, look at verses 20 to 22. By faith, Isaac, so Isaac is Abraham's son, by faith, Isaac invokes a future blessing on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons the sons of Joseph, so his grandsons, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Faith prays for the next generation. Like, we learn all this stuff about Abraham, and then we just got, like, three quick verses about three guys. But in each of their situations, they're looking to the future. Isaac asked God to bless his sons in the way that he was blessed. Jacob asked God to carry on the promises that had been given to his father Abraham, his grandfather Abraham. And Joseph was seeing beyond the coming tribulation. If we, if we quickly read to the end of Genesis, the people of God, they end up in Egypt by God's sovereignty. We won't go into the whole story, but they're there. And soon thereafter, they are going to live, like people are going to forget Joseph and they're going to live a hard life. But Joseph sees beyond the coming tribulation that his descendants would endure. And he sees his children go back to the land of promise. He tells them, take my bones back there. He's not even going to go back there. But he believes God for them to go back there. In Psalm 78, we learn there's a, a call to tell the next generation. Psalm 78, 48, I won't read it all. There's a call to tell the next generation about the Lord. Command the fathers to teach their children and the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and keep his commandments. Isaac and Jacob and Joseph didn't just use words. Their lives backed up what they said. They took steps of faith. They, too, lived in tents. It wasn't temporary. Even Joseph, who was the second in command in all the nation of Egypt, was like, this isn't it. You guys are going to go back to the land, the land of promise. Ask yourself the question, am I laying everything down right now for Jesus so that my children can see it? 
so that others can see it? Does your life tell the next generation what you believe about the future? Living for the future in faith, passing on a vision to the next generation so they will embrace God's promise to live by faith. Blessing, blessing isn't just a prayer. It's casting a vision. It's saying, I believe this about you. I believe God can do this for you in the future. So we share it, we believe it, we pray it. Friends, we live in tents. As silly as those little tents look, in eternity, you're going to look at the house you live in right now, and it's going to look way more sillier than that. And if the Lord tarries, this next generation is going to need to take the gospel to those around them. So let's cast a vision for them. Let's live in such a way that they're like, yeah, I want to live like them. Bring other friends from the church into your home so they can see other people live like them. So right now, instead of me stopping and praying, we're going to pray for the next generation. We're going to pray for the next generation. So if you are seated by your children, I want you to pray for your children. We're going to take a time of prayer. They're going to play some music while we pray. But pray for them. If if you're here and you're like, my kids aren't here. Well, they don't have to be here for you to pray for them. So take some time to pray for them. Maybe you're here and you don't have kids here, but you're like, hey, I know those kids. Their parents aren't here for one reason or another. I'm going to get up from where I am and I'm going to go over and I'm going to put my hand on their shoulder if that's okay with them and I'm just going to pray for them. If you know the needs, pray for the needs. If you want to ask them what to pray for, let's pray for them. Why should we wait? Let's just take steps right now. So, so kids or teens or young adults, you're still you're a kid. If your parents are here and you're 40 like I am, if my parents are here, I'm a kid, my dad would be praying for me. Receive that. Receive that and listen. Not to, just to the prayers that are being prayed. Listen to what the Lord wants to say to you. You're living in tents. Don't let the world lie to you. It's as glamorous as camping. Not glamping, camping. So let's just take some time right now and pray, and then I'll close us in a few minutes. Father, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Lord, would you give us all a vision for the next generation? Though we don't see their maturity yet, though we don't see their giftings and abilities yet, though we may not see yet what decisions they're going to make in the future, we know you are in the future. And we know your promises are we're just as sure for the saints of old as we study, and your promises are just as sure for us, and your promises will be just as sure for them. Because those saints serve the same great and mighty God that we serve. And I pray, Father, that the next generation would catch that vision. I pray, Lord, for the children that are in the other wing of the church right now. I pray that they would respond to the gospel. Fill the teachers who serve over there with your spirit to share Christ with them. Lord, and even use the kids 
to share Christ with their neighbor kids. To your glory. Lord, do this work. Continue to use us to pray and not lose heart. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.